uh, for leading us in music today. Well, folks, today we come to the very final message in our journey through the Gospel of John. It's been 45 weeks that we spent, in, excuse me, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, that's how long it's been. I forgot what Gospel we're in, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, you'll remember that uh, a few weeks ago we snuck ahead because we wanted to get the resurrection story in on Easter Sunday. And so we've gone back a little bit into chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Mark chapter 15. And today we're calling the message, The Loudest Cry. Well, in ancient China, the people desired security from the invading hordes to the north. And so to get this protection, they built the Great Wall of China. Most of it is approximately 30 feet high and 18 feet thick, and it's more than 1,500 miles long. Well, the Chinese goal was to build an absolutely impenetrable defense that was too high to climb over, too thick to break down, and too long to go around. But during the first 100 years of the wall's existence, China was successfully invaded three times. Now, it wasn't the wall's fault. During all three invasions, the barbaric hordes never climbed over the wall. They never broke it down. They never went around it. Each time, they simply bribed the gatekeeper and then marched their army right through an open gate. The Great Wall of China. I want to talk a little bit about walls today. Do you ever feel like a giant wall exists between you and God? Does God ever seem far away, perhaps distant in some way? You know, as we read through the Old Testament, we can't help but recognize that God is holy and majestic and separated from the people. There's a definite doctrine of divine distance, if you will. Close contact with the holy God of the universe was formal and somewhat limited there was a clear line of separation drawn between what was sacred and what was common. When God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, he told him in Exodus 19, 20, 21, go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord that many of them might perish. And so Jesus came to bridge this gap. As we've worked our way through Mark, we've seen that. Jesus' plan to bring God near, to make God accessible. And this morning, we're gonna focus just on three very short verses from the Gospel of Mark in Mark chapter 15, verses 37 through 39. I'd like for us to read this passage together. Mark 15, 37 through 39. And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. So in this brief passage, as the breath of the Lord slips away and the earthly life of Jesus fades, I want us to notice three magnificent truths. Three truths that we can carry with us. The first one is this, the victory has been won. 
The victory has been won. Verse 37 tells us that Jesus let out a shout just before he died. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. You see, Jesus, when he died, there wasn't a whimper. There wasn't a whisper. The phrase loud cry can be translated a big or exceedingly great voice. His final words were a roar of victory. It is finished. He died knowing that his work was complete. The price had been paid. The sacrifice had been accepted. In in John's gospel, in in John 19.30, John tells us that that shout contains those exact words. It is finished. That means that all of our moral mess-ups Our total sin debt can be canceled. And so when you think about it, it's amazing, isn't it, that Jesus was able to give this loud cry right before he died? Because the victims of crucifixion usually had no strength left, especially after hours of extreme suffering when they were so close to death. Jesus can feel the chill of death throughout his body. And yet, he is still able to give a victory cry. And yet, it's more than just a shout. This event goes beyond words, and it gives us something that really words could never give because Jesus is involved in an act, an accomplished fact towering throughout time and history. You see, you can't prove love by mere words. Even if you could write amazing sonnets of love like Shakespeare or Elizabeth Barrett Browning, you wouldn't prove love because words alone cannot prove love. Even God couldn't do it by just words. You know, when God sent his prophets to be his voice, his words to men, not even the word of God penetrated the hearts of the people. Burning blazing on their lips with the prophets, and yet the people so often ignored it. And then God sent Jesus, didn't he? Jesus came and he preached the Sermon on the Mount, and he came challenging and appealing to people in tones that they had never heard before. That's what people said. We saw that earlier in Mark. No one ever spoke like this man. Jesus came encouraging people through words to trust God for everything, and even that, even that couldn't do it. And then when it seemed that the last word had been said and God himself could do no more than suddenly, suddenly the veil is torn. The death of Jesus exposes the very heart of God because it's not words at all, but it is a deed, an act, a living and dying picture of who God is. And it takes us past the secrecy and the clouds and the darkness and the intrigue. And it lets the sun shine in upon the mercy seat. His loudest cry both says and shows to us that God's heart is love. And that the victory has been won. That is the loudest cry And so if the first truth that we discover is that the victory has been won, then in verse 38, next we learn that the way is now open. And this verse is just packed with meaning. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now several items 
in Israel's worship system spelled out the remoteness of God. In particular, in the Jewish temple, there were numerous curtains set up to keep people separated from God's presence. And there were scores of rules and regulations about how things were to be done very carefully and very orchestrated. Now, in the New Testament, when we read of the temple, we understand that the writers are referring to the one that Herod built or was in, even in the process of building or completing during Jesus' day. Now, nothing remains of that worship center anymore. It was destroyed in 70 AD. All that's left behind are some broken pieces of rock and some other fragments. But the temple, the temple is where people used to go to pray. It was where they went to take their animal sacrifices to God. People would head to the temple all through the year, but especially during the big celebrations like Passover, which generally took place in the month of April. Now, one curtain was located between the temple itself and the outer courtyard. Now, non-believers, you might remember, were welcome to be in that outer courtyard. We, remember we talked about that, the courtyard of the Gentiles. But Gentiles were forbidden to go into the temple building itself. This area, the court of the Gentiles, was paved with marble, and it was where the merchants and the money changers had set up their tables. And we learned back in chapter 11 that Jesus came in and he dispersed those that were standing in the way of prayer and worship. So here's a, a diagram of the temple, what the temple courtyards would have looked like. And then as you made your way further into the temple, you went through what was called the sacred enclosure. But before you did that, you would come face to face with another barrier. Prominently displayed right next to a big curtain was a, a keep out sign, literally a keep out sign that kept people from going where they weren't supposed to go. In 1871, they actually dug up a fragment of that sign from the old temple. Here's a picture of what it looked like. Today, it's in the Israel Museum. But here's the translation. It says, no outsider shall enter the protective enclosure around the sanctuary. And whoever is caught will only have himself to blame for ensuing death. How about that? How about if we had a sign out on the front door of Garden Way Church when people came in it said, be careful. If you go too far, death. Would that be welcoming? Would that be encouraging to draw people towards God? The curtain was designed to keep particular people out. The whole structure and the whole religious system emphasized the remoteness of God and the difficulty of gaining access to him. Well, as you make your way past that first curtain, if you were allowed to, and into the temple proper, you would see the court of women and the court of Israel and a section called the court of the priests where the animal sacrifice were made on the altar. And then next, there was another part of the building called the holy place. It's the, the tallest part of the temple. Here's a photo replica of, of the temple of what it might have looked like from the outside. The tall part raising up is the holy place. And within the holy place, which was off limits to everyone except priests, inside there, there was yet another curtain. The curtain that we read about in our text today, which was also called the shielding curtain in Exodus 39, 34, because it was designed 
on purpose to keep people away from the most holy place or the holy of holies. Because there, there is where God dwelt. The Shekinah glory of God dwelt in the holy of holies. The high priest, of course, could only enter into this place once a year on the Day of Atonement to make sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it was a terrifying thing for the priest because he was entering in to the very dwelling place of God. It was a holy place, a set-apart place. In fact, literally, they would tie a rope around the ankle of the priest entering into the Holy of Holies just in case when he went in and encountered the glory of God, he died because they wanted a way to be able to pull him back out. That's how terrifying it was. Now, in the New Testament book of Hebrews, we see some important insight. And I want to read this passage in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 3 and verses 6 through 7. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. The priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. And so that curtain that separated all the people and all the priests from going into the presence of God was placed there by God himself, by his command. It was blue and purple and scarlet. It was made out of, of yarn and very fine linen. It was 60 feet long. That's as wide as this, the widest part of our auditorium is. I, I pasted it off the other day. 60 feet from that wall to that wall. 60 feet long. One curtain. 30 feet high. Two inches thick. The curtain was woven together. It took 300 priests, it was so heavy, it took 300 priests to install that curtain. There were no seams in the curtain. It was designed to be a lasting tapestry. It was designed to withstand strains and tears and rips for all of time. But when Jesus died, this indestructible curtain that separated people from God was torn in two. Our text says it was torn from top to bottom. The word top can also mean from above, which helps us to see that it was God himself that tore the curtain. And now, instead of just one person having access to the Almighty once a year, the way to God stands wide open. Wide open to everyone. On every day of the year, 24-7. And the result is that we now are invited to have unlimited access to God. For those who receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, everything has been paid in full. We have been declared free and forgiven. And we now have an open avenue to God. We can contact him at any time. And friends, all of this is only possible through the death 
of Jesus. I want you to think with me for just a moment about the timing of Jesus' death. While Jesus is on the cross, outside the city gates, on the hill, a multitude of priests are in the temple, and they're getting ready to make the normal evening sacrifice. But since this was the Passover, there was even a heightened awareness and a sense of awe in the annual Passover celebration because that day was the day the Passover lamb was about to be sacrificed. And the scriptures tell us that at precisely 3 p.m. on that Friday, 3 p.m. that Jesus died, that was the exact time that the priests would have been making the final evening sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Do you see the significance there? Isn't that amazing? Jesus, who is the ultimate and final sacrifice, died at the precise time of the regular temple service. And when he died, the scripture tells us that that heavy curtain was torn in two, beginning at the top and splitting all the way to the bottom. Can you imagine what must have been going through the minds of the priests there in the temple courtyard, in the holy place, as they prepared for the sacrifice? They weren't even supposed to look at the Holy of Holies, and now there it is, wide open, right in front of them. I just wonder, what happened? Did they run out? Did they cover their eyes? Did they drop to their knees and wait to be consumed by God's righteous wrath? What about the Passover lamb? Did it jump off the altar and scamper away in freedom? Because that day, the true Lamb of God had taken its place. And by the way, taken our place as well. And so the symbolism is profound. I want to look again into the book of Hebrews to better understand what Jesus did for us. From Hebrews 9, 12. He, that is Jesus, did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. And so do you see? Do you see that through the blood of Jesus, our sins have been paid? And we now have an opportunity to experience complete forgiveness and eternal life. And that's because of what Jesus has done for us. In Hebrews chapter 10, in verses 19 through 22, it tells us that we, talking about us now, Christian people, we can come right into the very presence of the holy God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Do you see the wonderful symbolism here? Because the curtain is torn in two, we can walk right in to the glory of God at any time. We can go boldly into his presence. The way is now open. You know, once a year, that high priest solemnly lifted a corner 
of that curtain and entered in there with fear and trepidation. And now, though, because of what Jesus has done for you and for me, we can enter in. The scripture says we can draw near with what? Confidence if we come through Jesus. And so the tearing of that curtain means three things for us. These are your three takeaways. If you have to hold on to anything today, hold on to these three takeaways. Number one, think about that curtain being torn. God is revealed. That's our first takeaway. God is revealed. Jesus came to show us who God is. Isn't that why Jesus came in the flesh? God in the flesh. God amongst us. He came to show us what God looks like in a physical sense. In John chapter 1 and verse 18, the apostle John says, no one has seen God at any time. God, the only son who is in the arms of the father, he has explained him. And so Jesus came to this world to explain the heavenly father to us, to show us what God would look like, to show us how God would behave and interact with people. That's what Jesus did for us. He revealed God to us. Here's a second takeaway. Because that curtain was torn, the barrier has been broken. Not only is God revealed, but the barrier has been broken. That doctrine of divine distance, it's been replaced by open access. Through Christ, everyone has an opportunity to have a direct line to gracious God. The very God who sent his son to die as our sin substitute. Even Gentiles who were barred admission even into the outer courts of the temple, they can now go right in to the Holy of Holies. The barrier's been broken. And then third, the old order has ended. The old order has ended. The curtain was not just open, but it was ripped in two, indicating destruction. The temple, the sacrificial system is no longer needed. Jesus was raised from the dead and that temple was destroyed just a few decades later. That reminds us, reminds me of back to, to Mark 13. When we were in chapter 13, you might remember a few weeks ago, there was a conversation with Jesus and the disciples as they were heading out of the city. They looked back to the temple. And in verse 1 and 2 of Mark 13, it says, As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Wow! What was Jesus' answer? Jesus replied, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Jesus knew what was coming. Because it was a part of the plan. A plan to end the old order of things. The victory has been won. The way is now open. And this leads to the final point in this passage. The offer still stands. The offer still stands. We see this in verse 39. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry, and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Now, a centurion was a Roman army officer who had a detail of 100 men under his command. These were the warriors, the leaders 
of the mighty Roman Empire. The guys out in the trenches leading their men out into mighty battle. But when they weren't in battle, they were given specific jobs to do. And on this day, this centurion was in charge of a smaller detachment. And they had crucifixion duty. Because day after day, they were busy crucifying people outside the city gates. Jesus wasn't the only one that died outside of Jerusalem. He wasn't the only one that died that day, was he? We know that there was two others, one on his left and one on his right. And so on this day, this man was in charge of the crucifixion of Jesus. He witnessed the scourging. He saw the mocking. He saw the spitting and the nailing. And he heard that last shout of Jesus. And when he watched how Jesus died, willingly, powerless, and yet filled with power, he was moved to confess Jesus was indeed the Son of God. He was deeply moved and drawn to the Savior. Calvin Miller, in his book called Once Upon a Tree, writes this, God succeeded in validating Jesus' claim to be the Son of God. Standing near the cross was a soldier whose daring whisper of truth was heard above the clamor of the unbelieving slander. He was impressed with Jesus' meekness. He marveled at the calm, even on the timbers of death. Life Real life always begins for us on the dark side of Calvary when we encounter the cross and affirm the centurion's statement of faith. Surely, Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was not delusional when he claimed to be the Son of God, but we are deluded if we claim to believe anything else. I love that statement. We're deluded if we claim to believe anything else. You see, friends, there were many other people near the cross that dreadful day, weren't there? But this professional, pagan, trained killer believed and confessed that Jesus was the Son of God. In Luke's gospel account in chapter 23, he tells us what happened when others saw how Jesus died. Luke writes, when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and walked away. Now in the first century, when you saw somebody beating their breasts, it was a sign of guilt, of remorse. Their indifference Their anger had been replaced with feelings of guilt. As they watched what Jesus went through, maybe they began to realize in some small way their role in putting him there on that cross. Many of those folks came to witness a show, but they left with feelings of overwhelming guilt. Well, that Roman centurion believed when he saw what Jesus went through. The Jewish onlookers simply walked away. And so that leaves us to ask this. What about you? 
What about me? Will we believe or will we leave? You see, the offer still stands today. The victory has been won. The way is now open. But nothing is automatic. We must respond to the offer. And so I want to close up by leaving at least two life lessons from this passage that, that we can apply right now, today. Application number one is for those of us who are already Christ followers. And application number two is for those who are still in process on your spiritual journey. Let's start with number one. Go to God with your concerns. It's not enough just to believe this, folks. We need to do it. Go to God with your concerns. Because of what Jesus did, we don't have to be timid when we approach God. We can come to him anytime, anywhere, for any reason. Brothers and sisters, we don't need to hold back. If you are in need of grace and mercy, run into the presence of the awesome God. In Hebrews 4.16, the Hebrew writer says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That is a powerful promise for anyone who accepts Jesus as Lord. Go to God with your concerns. Too many of us spend too much time going to others with our concerns. When we first must go to God. Application then number two. Number two, go to Jesus for salvation. You know, that centurion had a significant role in putting Jesus to death. And yet he made a confession of faith when he took a closer look at what he'd done. And likewise, you and I had a part in putting Jesus to death. Our sins are what nailed him to the cross. And just as this soldier was able to proclaim faith, even after doing something so reprehensible, so too any of us can be saved. No one is beyond the redemption of God. It doesn't matter what you've done or how you've been living. We have an opportunity to go to Jesus for salvation. The way is now open. And so if you have ever felt like there's a giant wall between you and God, ever feel that way? Your prayers aren't getting through? You're banging your head against that wall? Can I give you some good news this morning? The barrier has been broken. It's not even there. And so if you're banging your head against the wall, it's not a wall that God put there. And so ignore that barrier and step through in faith. The curtain has been cut. The bridge has been made. The victory has been won. The way is now open and the offer still stands. We don't have to find a way under the curtain We'd have to look for a loophole somewhere. That curtain's been torn completely in two. 
and the entrance is wide enough for any, any who would choose to accept the terms of Jesus' offer. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the powerful message of the gospel. Father, we thank you for the life of Mark, who so carefully wrote these words down, influenced by your spirit, protected by your spirit through generations of time. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Mark, which exposes us to the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of how we can receive eternity with you when we trust in your way. Father, may we be people that come to you with our concerns boldly and confidently. Father, may we hold on to your promises for salvation, not to our own good works. Father, not to our past or our present or even our future, but Father, may we just cling to the lasting truth of the gospel as we go to Jesus for salvation. Bless us this day, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So today, it just occurs to me, maybe you, you need some help approaching the throne of grace. Our elders would be honored to pray with and for you. Each week, back in the prayer corner, we have at least one of our elders. Today, it's Joel and Dina. They're ready to pray with you. They'd be glad to step out into the hallway or into a quiet room where they can pray about your concerns, about your needs, about your burdens, or perhaps you have a question about the next steps you can take to be a part of Jesus' eternal promise. They would be privileged to talk with you about that as well. So as we stand together, let's stand and sing our final song. I encourage you to make your way to the prayer corner. May God bless us today as we rest in the hope of Jesus. Amen.